Hey everybody, welcome back to Graham Walken Lane's newest Patreon episode in which I get to open with the dad joke, Scanner, I hardly know her. I'm thrilled to be joined by my good friend, Justin Cosmic. How are you, Justin? I'm doing good. Um, thank you for having me again. I'm so happy to have you. Justin uh, was a podcast friend who became a real life friend when we got to hang out at Pride last summer and he's been on the show several times. Uh, it's so fun to hang out with you one-on-one. -on -one. And Justin has come in Scanner Cosplay. Uh, Scanner Cosplay is what, Justin? Tell us about it. So, sorry. It's a makeshift um, outfit. Um, I have a purple shirt on with, um, I did a makeshift red V to fit the Acolyte uniform and then a red headband. And I have Scanner's cheek marks. Scanner's got some red, like, football marks on her cheeks except they're cooler <laughs> and some shoulder pads that i am fighting with but i mean look good in photos so hey justin's gonna release some photos when we put this episode out on january 11th is the target date uh and you look great i mean you look good in anything you uh you thirsty delicious man you <laughs> <laughs> uh justin tell people where they might know you from if they are unfamiliar with you so far so online, I go by the username J underscore Cosmic, spelled with a K, and I am primarily on Instagram. So a lot of what I have on there is um, collectibles as well as cosplay. Um, this year has been the most I've cosplayed in a while, granted with 2020 and 21 being what it was, I actually have the opportunity to attend conventions and dress up. So there's that and the occasional thirst trap because, you know, sometimes if you're feeling it. <laughs> I am all for it. Uh, Justin is a lovely, lovely human. Uh, nerdy, wonderful, just kind, easy to talk to, easy to hang out with. Uh, it was, we got to welcome Justin and his partner to our home when they came to hang out. We introduced them to all of our friends. We went clubbing together. It was such a good time. Uh, and I love having you on the show every time. You're so easy to spend time with. Uh, uh, I just, thank it's, you. It's nice to see you. I didn't, I didn't want to leave. So <laughs> that says enough right there. You are welcome back here anytime. There are spare beds available. So come hang out anytime you like, my friend. Uh, I don't plan, I, well, are we okay to say what city you live in on here or would you prefer not to do that? That's fine. I was gonna say, I probably will not make it to Calgary anytime soon. Uh, I don't know that that's on my destination list. Although I do like Calgary, I have been there. I mean, if you ever wanna check out Stampede, that's pretty much the main thing we have going on in the summer. Um, we are basically the Texas of Canada. So it's very much cowboys, rodeo, that type of stuff. Not really my thing, but if it's your thing, cool. When I was in Calgary, I was by myself. I take little writing furloughs a couple times a year usually where I just write and that's it. And I went to Calgary on one of those a few years back and I went to a gay club by myself and I can't remember the name. Uh, there was a drag show and the performer's name was something like Justin Time, which is- Oh yes, that's that sounds like um, Twist. So one of the things that, um we have with Calgary is we only have one permanent gay club. Um, we have had a couple, you know, throughout the years that have come and gone, um, but there are a few um, LGBT and gay friendly places that we do have drag performers perform at outside of Twisted, but you're thinking of Twisted Element, which has That's been a mainstay. Correct. 
Yeah, I think uh, my, my fondest memory there was, well, I have two. Number one, the drag queen started and there was about 40 people in the audience. And she goes, uh, shout out to all my friends who, or my, all my coworkers who came to support me from my job at Costco. And literally everyone in the crowd, except like three of us were like, woo! Like they were all her coworkers that came to the show, <laughs> which I thought was great. And uh, later that night when I, I, I stayed out dancing that night and uh, there was a guy who was wearing like a Rick and Morty tracksuit, like head to toe Rick and Morty <laughs> cartoon print. And we actually talked for a long time. He was like a poet who was visiting town, but I was like, this is the outfit you're going dancing in. <laughs> like, it, was, it was fantastic. <laughs> you definitely see some characters there, but hey, just makes it a better time. Yeah, it's a great place. I love every time I go. I think the most memorable for me was um, somebody at one point brought a houseplant onto the dance floor. Oh, wow. And I also, there was also another time where somebody actually brought a radiator. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Like one of those um, wall radiators? My first gay club ever after coming out was in Spokane, Washington. There was like eight people there. And one of the guys was on the dance floor eating like a large platter of chicken wings while he danced. And I was like, where am I? <laughs> you know what? It's efficient. <laughs> Way to save time. Absolutely. Uh, well, so when, oh, go ahead. Well, there's one other, there's a couple other characters too. Like um, there's one guy who, so we have a couple of pier pillars with mirrors on them and he will like thrust and hump, hump dance to himself in the reflection. And it's just, <laughs> it's a sight. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a while though. You get, you get enough of any substance into anyone's body and they will have all kinds of good times. <laughs> yeah, but it was just always entertaining, you know? fantastic but uh, they do but they do have a oh sorry oh you're great they do have a good dance floor and it is one of the few places where you know you can go out dance have a good time so yeah just always enjoy I had, it there i had a lovely time there i hope to make it back sometime so shout out to twisted element in calgary <laughs> <laughs> um so when we were talking about characters to hit for this patreon uh, again, uh, the, my listeners know, but we we choose supporting characters or lesser used characters, characters that wouldn't qualify for a Graham Alkin trial, in other words. And uh, Justin and I went back and forth for a little while before we landed on Scanner, which I was super excited about. I remembered Scanner, but really did not know anything about her except her look. I can remember her look and her being part of the Acolytes. Uh, I, I love this character now after researching. Uh, tell us how you chose Scanner for this show. So I kind of narrowed it down to a couple of the Acolytes just because I feel like there's a few of them that could use a little love again, you know? And what drew me to Scanner was her power set. So um, way back, like, back in my day when I was in high school, many, <laughs> many years ago, um, I was actually on a comic forum where we had a league. And um, basically this league, you would draft characters and they'd be worth X amount of points. So I looked into Scanner and her power set, and um, she ended up being really useful, especially against telepaths, just because her power set really neutralized that threat. And the X-Men being the X-Men and their usage of the telepaths, um, yeah, she was very useful for my battles. <laughs> I know it sounds really dorky, but, you know... We are, no, no, we are here. <laughs> we remember the characters that we love for a lot of different reasons. 
when it comes to the acolytes themselves, we're going to talk about this team in just a moment, but there are a lot of members that have a tremendous amount of potential, actually, I think. Yes. I think with the few exceptions, they did a really good job at creating a diverse cast of characters from different nationalities with different power sets and different looks, and they haven't gotten a lot of playtime. Uh, Fabian Nicieza and Scott Labdell, when they have written these characters, have done just enough to give them some kind of individuality. But oftentimes when you see teams of villains like this, they're not given a lot of individual potential. But Scanner has her own personality, her own power set, her own storyline. It's just not as well developed as we would love. Uh, and I could say that about most of the Acolytes characters. Yes. Tell me, tell me some of your favorite Acolytes, if you have any. So... One acolyte I feel like in particular who could use a little love and I think has a lot of potential is Neophyte. Yeah. Um, he's like the little twink who can walk through walls. He's basically male kitty pride, but honestly his power set's just a little more advanced than just walking through walls. Like he can merge with the objects and appear elsewhere like by actually traveling through the object. And I just think that's really cool. And aside from Messiah Complex where he had a brief cameo, um, haven't really seen much of him. Plus, honestly, he registers on the gaydar, you know? There's just something about him. Neophyte is great. I love uh, I love Amelia Vote and I love Unusion. Those are my top Yes, I, I love to those two as well. Um, I do love the development that Frenzy got in the recent years, yeah. especially now that she's on Sword. Um, she's always been cool. And, you know, just seeing her develop, like, it's been nice to watch. And... Um, Vindaloo, um, as much as he hasn't really been personalized or had given much personality, I do like his power signature and how he kind of wears that Scarlet Witch tiara. He has a terrible code name, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of code names, the other one that stands out to me is Ram Ram. Ram Ram, yes. Yes. And, uh, and Barnacle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or there's the Kleinstock brothers. I don't care for the Klein Sox. Ram Ram and Barnacle were just in uh, Steve Orlando's Marauders in okay. their time travel adventure. If you go back and read, they showed up very briefly in a uh, in a time travel story. Uh, there's a couple other like Senyaka and Kesu yes. and Milan uh, and Spur, uh, this the Scottish guy. There's there's a lot of characters that are pretty good, and then a few that are somewhat forgettable. Uh, like the, they haven't gotten airtime. Like Klein Stocks, as an example. Meh. Yeah. See another one that got killed off way too quickly, I think, is Chrome, the one who was able to trap people in Chrome. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's a unique power set, and he has an individual look that makes him stand out with the black hair and the white streak going through it. That's one I could see coming back. Or would so, love to see back. So Claremont leaves the X-Men books in the early 90s. Uh, we then get the X-Men blue team, X-Men gold team era where the teams get split and uh, X-Men Volume 2 launches. And one of the first foes they face, and this is still with Claremont and Nicieza kind of working together, if I'm recalling the teaming right, uh, we get to meet the Acolytes. And the word Acolyte kind of just means a servant or someone who's devoted to a leader. I mean, we can take that interpretation, interpretation in a lot of ways. It's often associated with, uh, with people who experience religious devotion. But Magneto is back. He's super powerful. He is up on asteroid M and there is a team of people who have kind of proclaimed them as his leader. 
And this, this uh, team gets used a lot over the next several years in various storylines, sometimes to great effect, sometimes to okay effect. There are a lot of members, there's a lot of things happen. And a lot of the storylines revolve around whoever is leading the acolytes at the time. So Magneto is their messiah. It gets very messianic. And then there's Exodus who is proclaiming Magneto as the messiah. And then Fabian Cortez, who is much more of the uh, Judas Iscariot kind of character who's trying to take over by betraying and manipulating. Uh, so a lot of the storylines that, uh, that Scanner is involved in revolve around the acolytes and who's leading them at the time. But it's a great team and it's a really smart storyline in that we get to see a lot of different types of exploration of Magneto's philosophy and how it directly opposes to Professor X's dream. Uh, it, there, there's some pretty good stuff worked into this era of the comic books. And it's a, it's a way of changing what's been there before and doing it in a new way. Uh, so I, I prefer the Acolytes to the most incarnations of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. <laughs> yes. Tell me some of your thoughts on the uh, the portrayal of the Acolytes or what, what do you think about this team? Um, I feel like they're a little bit ahead of their time considering, you know, Magneto's stints on the X-Men. Um, I guess we're kind of jumping ahead, but it also kind of, again, jumps ahead to the Utopia era where they're living on Avalon that crashed into the San Francisco Bay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, as a team, like, um, again, as you mentioned, a lot of the characters actually get developed. There's enough that makes them stand out. And what I find fascinating with them, too, is you see a lot of the mutants that actually look like mutants, not just the ones who can pass as a normal human, you know? So the fact that they have a place as well you know, it was interesting. Like you look at someone like Mellencamp, which, you know, what kind of name is that? <laughs> but it's like um, a literary name. It's a, it's like a famous author. Okay. But again, like just this lizard looking guy who, you know, razor sharp claws, and then you got Spore, like you at least kind of got variety there and you can kind of see the anger and frustration and the justification, but their approach, definitely not the most ethical, putting it politely. <laughs> yeah, and the the Acolytes themselves, this is an era of comics where it's dangerous to be a mutant. So all of these characters yeah. ideally have their own home stories, their own home lives, their own stories about how their powers developed, but they have to pick a side. And Magneto's offering protection. He's offering a mutant nation. He's offering superiority, like come here because we belong together. Now, when people say... Uh, Magneto was right. This is the element they're talking about. We're going to fight back. We're going to like develop safety in our numbers. We're not going to settle for anything less than who we really are. And all of these characters, all of these acolytes have different reasons for joining and different levels of belief. But then there comes a point in the acolytes where you have to prove that you want to belong. It's not just we're going to offer you safety. It's you can't be passive about belonging to this mutant cause. You have to fight for us. You've got to yeah. murder or torture or be cool with whatever we do. And we're seeing that explored weirdly in the Krakoan era a little bit. Like how far will we go to protect our safety? But the Acolytes have a particular version of that. And a lot of Scanner's stories revolve around that as well. She wants safety, but who is she in the context of what this cause requires from her? Uh, yeah. So before we even introduce the character, do you have thoughts on on uh, what it means to be a member of the Acolytes? Um, let's see. Well, hmm. to be a member of the Acolytes. 
I feel like you covered a lot of it, that being, you know, willing to fight for the cause um, and finding acceptance outside of regular society. Um, you do kind of see a little bit, of, you know, that representation in real life, maybe not to that extreme, but it is a good kind of parallel with somebody who may feel like an outcast and lash out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Would you join the Acolytes or the X-Men in the early um, <laughs> Because hmm. the X-Men also require you to fight. They also require you to train and be involved. See, up until the mid-90s when Holocaust or Nemesis um, crashed onto Avalon, living on a floating asteroid above Earth away from everybody actually seems pretty ideal, you know? You got space, you're away from all the nonsense on Earth. It's just Nemesis coming in kind of messed that up. But you know, I would I would rather serve Xavier and Cyclops than I would worship Exodus or Fabian Cortez. <laughs> at at the end of the day, I think I would choose the X Men as much as the whole Avalon thing seems ideal. Just because I can't get down with the violence or the killing, you know. That's just I'm not a villain. <laughs> You're the best kind of villain. You're a scanner kind of villain. Uh, okay, let's talk about Scanner a little bit. Scanner's real name has been revealed to be Sarah Ryall. Sarah with an H, R-Y-A-L-L. She is a blonde, white female with a pretty unique power set. It's a little bit Kitty Pride-ish in that she phases, but she doesn't. She changes herself into bioelectric energy. And she can use this as kind of a radio field. She can detect humans and mutants around her. She can track people. She can track people's astral forms. She's immune to telepathy. Uh, she can give off bioelectric zaps that will scramble the brains of people and affect their memories. Uh, and she can enter what they call a bioelectric state, which allows her to like phase through walls. But she can also travel and transport herself around uh, in this state. It can be disrupted. Uh, she can appear as a hologram of herself. Uh, and uh, like certain electrical fields will disrupt her abilities, uh, but it's a unique power set. There's no one who has powers quite like this. It's interesting. The character Trance comes to mind. If you know that yes. character, Hope Abbott. Hope can you beat me it. to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of kind of a parallel, but it, again, it's a unique space in that this is bioelectric abilities. Uh, what do you like about Scanner's powers? I think she's pretty cool, actually. I mean. It's kind of interesting how Scanner's powers evolved because she kind of started off trance-like where she projected her form out of her body but still remained, her physical form still remained in place before eventually just being able to turn into the bioelectric form. So it's kind of cool seeing her powers evolve and change in that sense. Um, I do like that she's a combination of Callisto, Kitty Pride, you know, those mutant trackers being able to detect like mutant signatures and all that i i initially compared her to kitty pride and then i'm like oh wait that doesn't quite work but it kind of does also uh it's it's an ability that is interesting and different writers will use it in different ways so she's one of those characters you have to kind of stack up all her appearances and uh and bring them together she does have some unique look her technical first appearance she goes by the name screener this is in Avengers number 357 of all places. And this is an era where the Acolytes seem pretty obsessed with Magneto. Quicksilver at the time is believed to be Magneto's son and thus heir. And Quicksilver has a child named Luna, 
through the inhuman crystal, who is a human. Luna has no powers. And the Acolytes see this as some sort of atrocity. They're out to get her. From Luna, what I recall, oh, sorry. Oh, please go ahead. From what I recall, um, I believe her first appearance was kind of lead up into the blood ties story. Mm-hmm. Where Luna gets kidnapped and they're trying to do a bunch of stuff with uh, with the Acolytes versus the X-Men and the Avengers are involved and there's Genosha and a bunch of crazy stuff. This is very yes. much a Fabian Cortez era. A screener is being sent into Avengers Mansion to spy on Luna. And we see her with long blonde hair. And she's got the standard acolyte uniform, which is like black tights head to toe. There's sometimes a little bit purple. And then there's like a big red V at the sternum. Uh, she's got red bracelets, red boots, a gold harness with thick shoulder pads, and a lavender cape. And her look changes a little bit over time. Later, she's going to get her signature a tattoo. She has a red headband and her red uh, dashes and slashes on her cheeks. Uh, the Acolyte's uniform is characteristic in that uh, it's very different and bold. The color scheme is different, but it's like the X-Men where they have one standard uniform and color set and then you get variations on it. I like the Acolyte look though. It's good. It's, it's very much um, color-wise kind of opposite of the X-Men uniform too with the blue and gold versus the red and purple. It, it, it is nice. It is, uh, it, it's purple more than it's black. I said black more than purple, but it is purple more than it's black. I mean, some people have drawn it blue, but for the most part, I feel like it's purple. <laughs> uh, when we first see Screener, she has melded into uh, Luna's bedroom, and she's discovered by an inhuman character named Marilla, who is Luna's nanny. Do you know the character Marilla? Yes, I've seen her pop up here and there. Yeah, big old lips, and that's kind of all you need to know. Yes. <laughs> Lockjaw is there, and Screener is super surprised that they can sense her. She says, how did you sense me? I came here to examine the martyr's air, the flat scan throwback, but no one was to know. Uh, and uh, she talks about her connection to the Acolytes. Uh, Screener zaps her, and then she talks about Magneto being a man of vision and courage who was cut down in his prime. And the only true hope for mutants is in this pitiful world is Magneto. Uh, but then she takes the memories away. Varela is not gonna remember that she was ever there. She glows with power. She has a sound effect that's just a bunch of S's. And uh, then she reports into Cortez. She has secured the genetic and biological data of the Maximoff child. She's human. And then she goes back. Now, yeah, this is leading up into blood ties, which is craziness, but scanner screener is not part of that it's kind of a strange debut and then writers seem to take this character and make her a member of the acolytes and then really flesh her out later but she's kind of a one-off background villain who doesn't really have a lot to do with this first appearance before we get more of her in the future yes. uh, thoughts on this debut issue um i mean it was very brief it kind of had you intrigued on like who is this mutant will we ever see her again will she remain obscure you know the, uh, the Acolytes are going through a whole bunch of stuff through this. We're not going to cover it all. There's a really awful storyline in Uncanny where they target a boy with Down syndrome who's a mutant and try to kill him because they see him as unfit. Like, oosh. Uh, yeah. They also kill X-Men ally Sharon Friedlander, which is a very controversial story because Sharon's a, a, a character of color that we really like, and she dies kind of unnecessarily. She does go out heroically, but it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and that leads us up to Uncanny X-Men 300, where 
The Acolytes have captured Moira McTaggart because they've blamed her for that time when Magneto was a baby and she messed with his genetics. That's a yep. whole other story. <laughs> and it's on trial. <laughs> this is kind of where we get Scanner. Uh, she's named, and then she kind of gets her first standout moment uh, in this and, and in X-Factor 92, which follows, with some really uncomfortable interactions with Fabian Cortez. Uh, Justin, tell us who Fabian Cortez is. What do we need to know about this guy? So Fabian Cortez is a piece of crap. <laughs> no, but um, legit, though, um, he is an extremist member of the Acolytes who is so dedicated to the cause that he was willing to betray Magneto because, you know, basically... Fabian got a little too caught up in the lore, and Magneto, at least, is a little more sensible. Granted, you know, at the time, he was a little more villainous than in recent times. Um, but Fabian Cortez, he's his powers are kind of a reflection of him as a character, too. As in, he kind of feeds off of others to kind of strengthen himself, too. He boosts your abilities and feeds off of that energy to seize his own power. And he's kind of, I mean, without better phrasing, he's hes kind of a white supremacist. He's a member of the upstarts. He's bidding for power. He's kind of the wormy, wormwood guy who is going to, like, put himself at the right-hand man of the president at the leader and, like, manipulate him into doing what he wants. Uh, he's, 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 he's a creeper. They've, uh, they've given him some, he's attention. a skis. <laughs> yeah, he's a total skis. They've given him some attention in the recent, uh, years in comics and he's rough. So in X Factor 92, uh, this is during the fatal attraction storyline. We get a cool hologram cover. Uh, Cortez has moved the acolytes to a sunken submarine, which is called the Leningrad. And this is famously the submarine that Magneto once sank and killed people on board. That's a different part of a Magneto story. Uh, Scanner's name is used for the first time here, and she has been sent to uh, kind of watch as the Acolytes slaughter a whole bunch of humans in this hospital. Uh, Senyaka has tortured one woman to death. Uh, Quicksilver and, and Valerie Cooper are there, and Scanner rushes back to Cortez. She's super nervous. Uh, if we read this out loud, do you want to read Scanner or Cortez? Um, I'll let you be Scanner. Okay. <laughs> So uh, this is kind of her first big moment, and it's it's a rough one. So uh, go ahead, where she addresses Cortez after running back in. Okay, one sec. So, my lord Cortez, I have returned, my lord. Uh, she kneels before Cortez, and he's in this like weird tech throne, and he goes, obviously. I am ready to report at your order. Stop graveling, scanner, and spit it out. Wait, I kind of want to do a voice now <laughs> you're just fine <laughs> gotta get in character we've dealt the humans a horrible blow but i uh i still wonder my lord yes those people were no threat to us to any mutants why were they human yes and correct me if i'm wrong hasn't the boot heel of humanity always trampled our kind uh, yeah yes yes my lord then they were a threat. 
and he grabs Scanner by the hair and he says, ah, oh, Scanner, don't you see? They're genetically linked, one mind, one heart, one soul, twisted, evil, full of hatred for all that's different. Your naivety touches me, but you have to learn and learn quickly that the compassion for humans, even the weakest ones, is extremely dangerous. One true Lord and master, the great Magneto, would want you to understand this. But... But the master's son, he seemed so upset by what we'd done. He... Cortez yanks her hair tight, like snaps her head backwards, and he goes, Is my concern! Ah! <laughs> and then Cortez just looks like a fucking evil asshole. He goes, Rest assured, Quicksilver will be mine. Ours by nightfall. I have certain operatives in place that even now and then the mission goes on from there we're not going to cover this part because this is scanner's only scene but what do we learn about scanner here and why is it not okay <laughs> um she's being abused by cortez and being used to further his means of spying on quicksilver and his obsession with the magneto fam magneto's family well, she's not allowed to see Magneto. She's being asked to believe in something. It's very biblical. Like, you can't see him, but you have to do as I say anyway. It's the idea yeah. of what Magneto's cause could be, being corrupted by someone who's willing to use the power for his own benefit. And he really just, like, is abusively reinforcing that. It's very culty. He's yes. like, how dare you question me? Get on your knees. I'm going to grab your hair. There's, like, a sick kind of rapey element to the whole thing it's it's quite uncomfortable frankly yeah the uh the scene where he grabs her hair like fondling her and then like snaps it back like Ush. it's just kind uh, of holding on to it too like like a creeper and she's not allowed to speak up against basically what's happening here is ethnic cleansing she's part of the nazi party and is an unwilling member but they're gonna kill her if she doesn't do as they say i don't know it's a, it's a rough story we're, we're seeing her question things she's got to make a choice she's got to be in one place or the other and that's kind of all we know about her here yeah uh she's used as a plot device to show how evil cortez is is another element of this they they needed a moment for cortez to show he's a real bad and this is this is his chance to shine kind of his way of being like you are beneath me let me assert my leadership well leadership in air quotes yeah it's misogynistic and it's 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 ugh. but you know i yeah. wish there was a moment where she got to kick his ass back but that's not what happens because shortly after this exodus shows up we're in uncanny x-men 304 exodus is this super powerful mutant and she re he reveals that fabian cortez is responsible for the supposed death of magneto and the others turn against Cortez. And then Magneto himself returns. He's at the peak of his power and he's ready to lead the Acolytes. So this moment of doubt has been rewarded because the Messiah is back. Uh, he takes the Acolytes to the X-Men who are at the funeral for, for Ileana Rasputin. This is an infamous issue. Uh, she, This child has just died from the legacy virus. And Magneto makes this incredible speech about the Acolytes. Do you want to share that speech for us? Yes. So... At least some of you understand what I have known for years. If mutants as a race are to survive, we must stop concerning ourselves with the acceptance of humans and instead concentrate on the threats facing homo superiors. Unex unexpected developments ne necessitate I take a moral 
or more, oh my god. I take a more active role as a savior to my genetic brethren. So this idea of him as the Messiah, he's like, this is, it, they forced me to be in this place. But Magneto's always wanted to be in charge. He's always wanted some attention. Uh, and then he offers the, the X-Men themselves some salvation. And uh, the, the Acolytes are all kind of questioning this. Um, to, to kind of Scanner's credit here, uh, he, Magneto does make a public example of Senyaka. He basically says Senyaka who tortured this woman, that's what Scanner saw that upset her. Uh, he says Senyaka took this too far. We're not gonna genetically cleanse humans. So he's, he's willing to draw some consistent lines. And then Colossus ends up joining the team in an infamous moment in X-Men history where everybody's like, oh my God. I don't know if you were reading the books live at the time, but Colossus turning against Xavier and joining Magneto was a big deal. Yeah, I definitely was a little young at the time <laughs> it's uh i mean i'm a little older than you it's it but it was it was it was indelibly like oh my god they just like made a, an x-men part of magneto's team it was intense i will say though um blood ties x-men 26 was the first one of the first comics i've owned so i do remember that granted i was again i don't want to age you <laughs> i am 44 and i will own it <laughs> <laughs> So the next big storyline, this is again, Fatal Attractions, X-Men 25, another holographic cover. Uh, Magneto and the Acolytes are in their orbiting space station and Xavier sends a strike team and it does not end well, good Lord. Uh, there's a speech where Magneto's really angry because the humans have set up satellites to like monitor their progress, even though he's literally left the planet and uh, and wants, I mean, this man has a history of terrorist attacks. I kind of get it, but also he wants a mutant nation. And he gives a speech to the Acolytes. He says, my Acolytes, I did not grant you safe haven here in Avalon. This is what he's calling the space station. In order to see you all slaughtered by the humans below, this attack cannot be ignored. For too long, I have played a fruitless tete-a-tete -tete with those humans in positions of power. I had always hoped that as administrations came and went, as figureheads changed one day, eventually, those who believed in the rights of mutants to exist from persecution would attain power. It was, I know, a foolish hope born out of my desire to never become what uh, that which I despised in my younger days, a despo, a tyrant, a Hitler. And they kind of reinforce that he has to do these things. He says, my actions are gonna speak louder than my words. And then he attacks the magnetic, electromagnetic fields of earth. And that's when Xavier launches a strike team. They come up to the station and Xavier himself basically erases Magneto's mind and leaves him a vegetable. So Scanner was rewarded for her beliefs with her Messiah for about 10 minutes. And then he goes into a coma, like a vegetative state. So uh, what are your thoughts on this storyline? Uh, again, Scanner's kind of peripheral to all this. She's part of this big team, but it's it's heartbreaking for her, I imagine. Yeah, just because, again, you know, she was kind of in a position of like, you know, being against what Cortez was about, but, you know, seeing Magneto was against that extremism, but then, you know, kind of did his own act. Um, it was definitely a polarizing story about Magneto just because, you know, you kind of want to root for him just because, you know, you know his history. And then, you know, basically knocks planes out of the sky and commits all these acts on Earth. Or, you know, sinks submarines and murders everybody on board. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you want to root for him and then he does something bad and it's like, Damn it. 
So Exodus gets a little creepy here. There's there's a whole nother conversation to have about Exodus, but that's in a future trial on my podcast. Exodus is kind of a dark ages, like old fashioned Catholic believe in your Lord at any cost kind of character. He's on the quiet council on Krakoa now. There's This is a great character if he's used well, but this is an era for him where he's kind of doing what Cortez did. He starts speaking for Magneto, but Magneto is a vegetable and the, he doesn't really allow the acolytes to see that. So Exodus is doing what he assumes his Messiah would want him to do. So a lot of Scanner's appearances in the next little while are during this era. Uh, she's part of the team in cable number 10 and 11 where there's the big Omega Red cable battle. Uh, her next big moment, I think, is in Uncanny X-Men 315. Uh, Exodus is clearly in charge. He's speaking for Magneto. And Neophyte, who's the character you referenced before, the little, the little twink guy that we like, he's a cutie. <laughs> uh, he has betrayed the team on a previous mission, and now Exodus is saying, we've got to put him on trial. And there's kind of an element of they're going to kill him because he once questioned or, or had his own agenda, uh, basically. Uh, and Scanner gets a little bit more prominent time here because she's reporting into Exodus about Neophyte and what is happening. And she sees Magneto, who is a vegetable, and Exodus is fucking pissed. Uh, tell us about this, this section between Exodus and Scanner and UXN 315. So Exodus screamed, you dare, you dare to stare upon the face of Magneto when I have made it clear that none but I shall know that honor. The caption, it is a pain unlike any ever she has known. In truth, Scanner's mutant power to project her astral self indefinitely should protect her from physical assaults. It is a cruel testament to the power of this man that he almost casually cripples both her body and spirit with something less than a stray thought. On her stomach, she apologized to Exodus, but he gripped her astral form by the throat and began choking as he called her nothing. None of you are worthy to gaze upon our Lord in this hour of his most ignoble condition can you not afford him at least enough dignity to allow him to suffer free of your insipid curiosity scanner begged for forgiveness and exodus dropped her to the floor so there's a there's a moment again for this character where she's blindly devoted doing everything that she's told she does exactly what she's told but because she sees magneto we have another example of a man just beating the shit out of her i mean cortez grabbed her hair but exodus tortured her and then when she tried to go astral he choked her uh, it's it's a really uncomfortable, again, kind of culty thing. I grew up in uh, in a very religious, indoctrinated environment. I grew up Mormon. And there was this element of you do as you're told and you never question anything. I was never abused by leaders, but I constantly felt like I was not good enough for God. And there's an element of me reading this from Scanner where she's doing her best, but just getting the shit kicked out of her anyway, that like, I just want to give her a big hug. It's a, it's a rough story for me to read a little bit. I, I don't want to, you know, delve too much into, you know, I guess I kind of relate to um, just, I grew up in a household where it was very much, you got to do what I say and not question and very much um, you're not allowed to disagree or you're against them, like that kind of mindset. So seeing her kind of go through the same thing, it's like, oh, shit, I kind of see myself in that a little bit, you know, especially growing up, you know? Yeah, she, so came, it's just here, like, she came here to be safe. And everyone yeah. who says the trust is willing to hurt her. It's uh, it's uncomfortable. It is. And, you know, again, there are people who go through that in real life, you know, so it's uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's just you want to see her kind of come ahead, you know? 
Yeah, I uh, I care about her, even though she has not had a lot of screen time. These moments of her being abused are what make me want to write her and give her purpose and story and drive. Because she doesn't get to fight back. She just yeah. takes it. It's rough. Yeah. Um, right after this is the trial of Neophyte. Colossus is speaking out on behalf of, of Neophyte. He wants the Acolytes to be something better than what they've been. And basically there's a big fight. And in the end, uh, Exodus agrees to let Neophyte live, but he's banished. He's get kicked down to earth. And there's some crazy stuff. We'll have to do a Neophyte episode another time. I know this is one yes. character that I talked about doing. He's He's got his own unique story. Um, then we get X-Men Prime and things for the Acolytes change very quickly. Uh, uh, the Age of Apocalypse happened. Uh, that's a whole other story. Legion goes back in time and tries to kill Ex or Magneto, but he kills Xavier. And we see a story where Apocalypse rules the world and all the X-Men books are canceled and it goes on for four months, which is kind of like what's happening with Sins of Sinister in the next couple of months as we are reading the current books. And when Age of Apocalypse ends and the regular world is restored, four characters come over to our world from that world. Uh, do you remember which four characters? Um, that would be Dark Beast, Sugar Man, mm -hmm. Nate Gray, mm -hmm. and Holocaust. Yes. Yeah, so there's or four characters. Holocaust slash Nemesis. He's called Depends. Holocaust first. His first name is actually Nemesis, which is hilarious in its way. Uh, <laughs> uh, Holocaust is a giant powerhouse in like red glowy armor. He kind of looks like Juggernaut. He's way scary. And he has landed in our reality and he's in like an asteroid. And Exodus is like, look, here's a guy in an asteroid. Let's bring him on the space station. And then we get uh, X-Men volume two, 42 through 44, where Holocaust awakens. And what happens next? <laughs> so <laughs> Exodus clearly never watched the alien movies because if you see a piece of floating debris with unknown life form on it, do not bring that on board. <laughs> That's a terrible plan. Uh, <laughs> Holocaust wakes up and goes nuts and starts draining people's lives. This is where Rusty Collins dies. He was just brought back in a recent X-Men Unlimited Infinity comic, Rusty Collins was. Uh, and the, the story I referenced earlier where Steve Orlando brought Remram Rem and Barnacle back, this was the Marauders traveling back to when Holocaust was attacking the Acolytes on the space station. So for, uh, for our Marauders readers, this is, the, this is that era of comics. Um, Holocaust destroys everything. He blows all the shit up and then they crash to earth and Cyclops has to come help. And they land in the Australian outback. And here's where we see some cool scanner stuff. Uh, Cyclops is showing like some leadership for these surviving acolytes. And he does some cool things with scanner's powers. Uh, he's kind of pushing her in new ways, but he also really cares about her. Uh, did you get a chance to read this story? Tell us about Scanner here. Yes, I have them right here. <laughs> oh, good. I love that issue cover with Cyclops' red glowy eyes. I love that cover. Yes, it is iconic, amazing. Um, but regarding Cyclops and Scanner, so first of all, one thing I got to comment is the way Cyclops has drawn this issue, like, just, I know he's cartoon and all, but like... Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you to my outback anytime. <laughs> also, like, this is this is can canon proof that Scott manscapes because this is the only time we see him looking all hairy, and it's like Wolverine doesn't have to be the only hairy one. <laughs> but, anyways, getting back to Scanner, um, <laughs> <laughs> like drool, drool. Okay, Scanner. Scott looked 
good here. <laughs> anyways, good. so well, I think it's Andy Kubert. Well done, Andy Kubert. Yes, one of those like before you were out, and it's like, oh, okay. Anyways, <laughs> so um, basically, Cyclops kind of has a mentor thing going with Scanner while they're going through the desert, and basically sends her a little bit ahead to scout and locate, you know, somewhere they can set up camp, which does push her powers because she was able to travel further before coming back. Yeah, they're not around collapsing. any here. She's just like switching into her bioelectric form and like zapping around hundreds of miles around the area. It's like really pushing her powers to the limit. Yeah. So like after she was pushed to her limit, they're sitting around the campfire and Scanner actually pulls pulls aside Cyclops and thanks him for actually, you know, pushing her and actually, you know, seeing something in her, which, you know, I guess kind of proves Cyclops's leadership as well as, you know, a little bit of development with Scanner, just, you know, kind of being treated like shit and actually having Cyclops do something productive with her powers without being a piece of crap to her. This is what she's been looking for the whole time is the implication. Just someone to believe in her, give her a place. She could be to the X-Men what Rogar, if someone took a chance on her and taught her and made her powerful, you know? I think she yeah. has potential. Well, like I look, uh, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too much. Stop me if I am. <laughs> but I feel like someone like her in the Krakoan era would be very useful in like defenses, you know, like, Look at how many times that island has been breached. Having someone like Scanner around, like there's only so much Sage can do on her own, you know? <laughs> yeah. Scanner has some tremendous potential. And you put her, you like team her up with Milan or some of these other characters. I think there's a lot of things she could do. But the Acolytes are saved. And I think we're, we're going to get this in a minute, but Scanner is kind of expecting to be brought back to the X-Men, but they never invite her. And the Acolytes end up moving to a, like, set of caves in Bolivia of all places. We don't see them for a while, but there's a Magneto limited series. Okay, Magneto is in a coma. There's an old character named Astra who has some powers and was part of his first brotherhood. And she has cloned Magneto and made another character named Joseph. There are a lot of clones in comics, but this is a Joseph story trying to reckon with the legacy of Magneto. Joseph is like a younger, hotter Magneto with a ponytail. And uh, he's a character I don't love, even though I wish I liked. Do you have any Joseph thoughts? Um, <laughs> I don't really think of him. <laughs> I mean, his name is Joseph. <laughs> Just going back to that... I don't know if there was like any kind of religious implication with the whole Joseph name to begin with. I think he was found by nuns when um, he crashed to earth, which is, I think where that came from. I'm just going by memory here. So, and this guy has a surprising legacy in the comics, but we'll do a Joseph episode another time. So Joseph in this series, this is the Magneto limited series is allying with the acolytes who are living in the jungles of South America <laughs> And they're like trying to debate whether or not he is actually Magneto this whole time. And this is kind of the premise of this series of like, is this Magneto? Do we follow him? He doesn't seem to be himself, but he looks like him and he has his powers. And, and there's kind of an element. And Scanner has gone through a little bit of a personality change here. What's she like in the Magneto series? 
Um, she seems a little more assertive and almost kind of frustrated. She's very yeah. vocal here. She's done. She's done with everybody's shit. Like that's that's the vibe I get from her. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty much had it with everybody. Um, maybe not to the extent of, you know, other characters, but I guess leading into the Magneto War, especially, we see her kind of, you know, fight back. So there's um, another group of anti-mutant human militias down here. They're called Humanity's Last Stand, not to be confused with the Church of Humanity or the Friends of Humanity. <laughs> and they have these like sentinel-y guys, like mech suits, they're called razors and they're attacking and they're anti-mutant. And Scanner kind of confronts Joseph in one space because he's denying being Magneto. And she's like, how do you propose we deal with the threat of these groups? The much vaunted X-Men are a no a nothing but a bunch of idealistic fools, she says. Their way leads to extinction. Peaceful cohabitation with the flat scans is an impossibility. Only Magneto's way can save us. Obviously, you already know all of this. That's why you're here, right? You are Magneto. And this pretense of denying your true identity must be your way of testing our loyalty and deeming us worthy of your leadership. So she's jilted. She's she's pissed at the X-Men and she has had like more than one home blown up at this point. What does this speech tell us about Scanner? So what it tells us about Scanner is just she's frustrated that, you know, all this dedication to Magneto and then he's here in the flesh but then he's denying being magneto so it's just the back and forth of um you know worshiping him only to you know have him kind of deny them it's kind of like a reflection of um when the x-men didn't take her in so yeah to now be rejected by somebody she looked up to like i guess there's that bit of denial there there's that a kind of like don't meet, it's basically, don't meet your heroes. There's a little bit of, uh, leaving a cult is also hard. You yeah. uh, you know it's wrong and you know you need to leave, but you also have this programming that tells you things are a particular way and it's kind of rough. The only other big moment Scanner has in this series, Cortez is back and we all know how she feels about Cortez at this point. Yep. <laughs> and he betrays Joseph and Joseph forgives him. And Scanner is like, forgive me, Lord, but I don't understand. Fabian Cortez deserves to be punished. Why are you defending him? For heaven's sake, this is the same traitorous pig that once tried to kill you. And I don't blame her for this reaction at all. Uh, and all the acolytes start to realize Joseph doesn't have any memories of his life, even if he is Magneto. And uh, that's kind of where the story ends with the relevant pieces uh, do you have more you want to say on the Magneto limited series at all, or Scanner specifically in this space? Um, just, I get her frustration, and I'm glad to see her, you know, finally get her own voice, just because, again, before they were in the desert, we didn't really see that from her. So it is character development, which I appreciate, especially with being one of the acolytes. Do you like this series, the, the Magneto Limited? Um, I've read it maybe once or twice, not gonna lie. Um, I do remember the art being nice. But it, it's an era where so many X-Men comics were coming out and every new limited series, every character was getting one. Uh, it's not my favorite. I do think there's some interesting theories explored. Um, but uh, yeah. It's one I'd have to revisit 
it's one I'd have to revisit again, whereas I have revisited the Magneto War era a couple times, mm -hmm. just because, you know, reading it first time around, it was just like, wait, what? So, you know, kind of getting clarity on what's going on <laughs> with and, the X-Men. And rereading it, just looking for Scanner's motivations was an interesting journey, because I got to see what she's going through, but the Joseph of it all, yeah, blah. Uh, it, Next appearance is Ex, uh, Excalibur 106 by Ben Robb. Now, Ben is has been on my show before. He's actually coming back to do a Patreon episode with me on the Crimson Dawn in a few weeks, which is crazy because he wrote a lot of the Crimson Dawn stuff. Do you remember the Crimson Dawn? Yes. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun to delve in with him. Uh, so Ben Robb's written, written this issue. Exodus is back in charge of the Acolytes. He set up a new Avalon. Uh, and he sends Scanner and Unucion to attack Colossus on Muir Island to recruit him. And Colossus has just joined Excalibur. This is his kind of post-Acolytes uh, continuity. And he's so happy to see Scanner. Like, it, it kind of implies that they have kind of a brother-sister relationship, which is something I would love to see in the comics a little bit more. Like that would have been cool to develop, because yeah. especially at the time, there being no, like, Ilyana it's the uh it's it's a really good potential motivator uh to, to to explore this character uh she gives him this big like big smile she's like come back and be with your brothers and sisters and colossus is like scanner are have you made the right choice she's like of course i am we all made the right choice and and colossus says to her listen to me very carefully little one of late, I have sought answers to the doubts that linger within me. Like you, I once believed I could make a greater difference in the world by following someone else's example instead of leading by my own. Nevermore shall I live like that, and neither should you. And uh, they end up kind of leaving him there. He's not willing to go with them. And uh, they return to New Avalon. The, the relationship between Scanner and Colossus is almost my favorite part of her character. And it's just in a couple of speech dialogues here. It's, uh, it's cute. It's something I almost wish they explored more in the comics, but I mean, you know, with this coming out after the whole Avalon stuff, I get it. And we needed that follow-up with, once Colossus was on Mir Island, we needed that follow-up with the Acolytes and him choosing to stay away. So good job, Ben Rahm, on that story. It, it yes. gives a lot more of Scanner um, than uh, we even realized we needed, I think. I, I like their relationship. Um, and then I'm going to cover this next part quickly because I've read this story too many times. I've heard Connor Goldsmith on Cerebro say this as well. The, this, this era of history has so many X-Men characters in it and they're all written meh and it's a complicated story. But this is the <laughs> Quicksilver Heroes for Hire crossover that involves Exodus and the Acolytes. Uh, in 1997, this is during the Heroes Reborn era, where all the heroes on Earth are gone into the uh, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a whole thing. Uh, so Tom Pear, who's been on my show, and I like Tom a lot, uh, he didn't stay on the book long. And John Ostrander is involved in this story. Exodus is leading the Acolytes to attack Mount Wondegore, and he's trying to get the High Evolutionary's new isotope E, which can be used to evolve or devolve people into either monkey versions of themselves or like higher, more, more powerful versions of themselves. And Luna Maximoff is here because she's Quicksilver's daughter and Quicksilver is one of the characters here. Scanner in this series of issues is uncharacteristically kind of bossy and mean. And you got to contribute, you got to attribute this to her being in an era of 
I can't trust anybody else. I got to fight for myself here. Like she's a little bit kind of racist and classist in these uh, and a little bit more savage in these issues. Uh, have you ever read the Quicksilver Heroes for Hire stuff? It's, it's, it's a rough patch to get through and there's so many characters i remember reading the quicksilver book once <laughs> i've read it but... two times now <laughs> i've read it once <laughs> so not really fresh in my memory but um yeah <laughs> we okay so scanner is taunting the high evolutionary here uh, she's yelling at the kleinstock brothers for making mistakes she's working with cortez again um, uh, the high evolutionary has designed a virus that is delivered through a rat bite. There's all this crazy stuff. Then Exodus brings in a bunch of mutants who have the legacy virus. Uh, and this group weirdly includes like Avalanche, Pyro, Feral, Omega Red. And he's like, if you work for me and go get this isotope E, then I will give you the cure to the legacy virus, which he doesn't have. And he, he sees these mutants as tainted and like worthless, which in the AIDS allegory of the legacy virus is super uncomfortable. You're diseased now, so you're not good enough to be part of us. Scanner keeps calling these like legacy virus mutants uh, impure and she calls them expendable. There's one point where she says, it is our holy mission to rid the world of impure and artificial mutants, including the high evolutionary and his cursed creations and the inhumans. Like she's very, very much become kind of a eugenicist which is her kind of delving hard into the cult thing that the acolytes represent. She's, uh, she's super hard into these uh, thinking patterns. And uh, the, the, uh, I'm gonna sum this up quick. There's too much and we could get too long <laughs> here. But uh, random, the Fenris twins get involved. They're down in the savage land. They're fighting the Knights of Wondagore. Isotope E is everywhere. Uh, there's a bunch of new acolytes that debut here. Their names are Decay, Projector, and Gargoyle, uh, which is Gargoyle in German or French. Uh, I kind of like Gargoyle. I think she's kind of got a cool design, but the other yes. uh, And there's, there's, a, there's a big thing and the acolytes lose the ISIS hope and Scanner's furious. She's like, oh no, Exodus is going to be so mad. We should never have trusted this mission to the impure. And then Exodus and Cortez, oh, oh gosh, I, I, it's, I almost don't want to spend any more time on this. They, uh, they are yelling at each other and there's more conversations about impure things. And then the isotope gets used to devolve Quicksilver and the Heroes for Hire into like monkey versions of themselves. And they're fighting the new man and it just goes on and on. And then the man beast <laughs> comes into it. Man beast is an old wolf that the high evolutionary created and he's super bad and evil. And then they capture the heroes and then they escape and then they fight again. And then Quicksilver proclaims himself the son of Magneto and he beats up Exodus. And then the high evolutionary comes back and Scanner is kind of savage in a little bit of this, but at the end, they agree to follow Quicksilver at the end. Uh, <laughs> tell me your thoughts on this story, if you have any, or particularly on Scanner's like hard turn into like being a eugenicist, which is super uncomfortable. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna attribute um, this little character detour on Cortez and Exodus. That's, I'm, I'm sticking with that, <laughs> just because again she had all this development. She seemed a little more on the softer side. I get that she eventually like becomes a little more assertive, but that's one extreme to another. <laughs> Yeah, you know, when I go back to the Mormon thinking again, I would have doubts about Mormonism and then I would like throw myself back into it hard because you just want so badly for it to work. 
and then you'd have doubts again and you'd throw yourself back in even being gay i was this way like i'm gay no i'm not gay i can't be and then yeah actually i am gay no no i can't and so yeah. I, I get it a little because the acolytes are very culty in that way and so her her reversal of character here makes some sense in that context to me but it's super uncomfortable um well okay i'm glad we got through that and i'm scanner glad girl what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> I, I I guarantee for future content on this show, I'm going to have to read that series like 10 more times. In fact, Anthony Oliveira and I are doing Bova in a few weeks and Bova's part of this. So I had to read it again for Bova. Uh, there's so many characters involved. I'm just going to have to go back again and again. <laughs> Bova, the Dairy Queen. <laughs> yes, yes. I, have, I have so many cow jokes ready. Listeners, when we get <laughs> Bova, you're going to hate it and love it at the same time. <laughs> so you're going to So you're going to milk it. Yeah, I already, in, in fact, Noelle and I just did Magda, and I already made a bunch of jokes about Bova milking herself. Uh, like, <laughs> I'm already, poor Anthony. Oh, no, Anthony can hold his own with puns. We're going to be fine. Uh, okay, then we have Magneto War. Justin, do you want to tell us about Magneto War? It's... <sighs> so, the short version is Magneto is back, and it's Magneto versus Joseph. And he's um... like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, um, basically, um, oh yeah, we also get introduced to Astra too, who um, I guess is a bit of a recon with regards to Magneto's history. I'll do an Astra episode on this podcast as well, but I do I do not like this character much. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's Uncanny X-Men 366, it's Magneto, X-Men Magneto War number one, X-Men volume two number 86, and then back in Uncanny X-Men 367. Alan Davis, Fabian Nicieza, Lenal Francis Hugh, like great names, but this story. Magneto is leading the Acolytes, they're attacking genetic research facilities and killing anyone who is there, and the X-Men attack, and the Acolytes crash their ship, and Scanner's like, oh no, the X-Men died, they didn't deserve that. And then Scanner is wondering, I wonder why we can, why can't we disagree with the X-Men but still respect them? And then Professor X contacts the ask, Acolytes astrally, and he's like, Magneto is wrong, and Scanner's like, fuck you. And then, oh, that moment, like, that was yeah. what sold me on her, was just like, um, you know what, maybe we should see it from another way. And then Xavier does his shady shit, and she's, she's just like, you know what? Fuck you. And basically eats him back into his own body. <laughs> this is my favorite Scanner moment as well. So yes. Xavier is there being an asshole and Scanner says, right after she's thinking, we could be friends with the X-Men, she says, the time for talk ended, Xavier, when you violated our Lord's mind and when you rejected me, us. You could have given me a second chance, a real home. Instead, you handed us over to the authorities your loss because I improved my control over my powers enough so that I can scramble a person's bioelectric rhythm and she punches his astral self and it knocks him back into his body and yay scatter <laughs> honestly it's just that moment you're waiting for you know just it's it's kind of like um watching I guess it's kind of ties to got that got a little tongue tied there it, it's like you watching the movie Carrie and she's getting tormented and picked on and then finally she gets her revenge and it's kind of like Scanner's Carrie moment, maybe a little less fiery, but still, <laughs> you know? 
it's a great moment because she's standing up for herself. And Xavier was an absolute asshole to Magneto. And he's being yeah. condescending here. And he deserves it. And she's right. And I love her for it. Uh, then she says, we need to finish off the X-Men. And uh, she... In- like then she later blames Xavier for like forcing a fight between the X-Men and the Acolytes, which totally could be true. And then it continues in uh, in Uncanny 379, the Acolytes are in Genosha and Polaris is there and Scanner watches Magneto handle another Cortez problem. And then the high evolutionary attacks and everyone loses their powers, but then they come back. <laughs> and then we yeah. get Magneto Dark Seduction. This is another limited series, which you're like, whoa, these just keep coming. Uh, have you read <laughs> Dark Seduction? I have read Dark Seduction. Um, it's a really great story, especially about Polaris and her ties to Genosha. Mm-hmm. This is a Nicieza book, which is, it's a good one. Anytime Nicieza's title is on, uh, or name is on a book. Uh, by the way, if you haven't heard, is coming on my podcast in a few weeks. Yes, which I'm excited for that one, and we'll tune in. <laughs> I've got some great stuff coming up. Uh, okay, so Magneto Dark Seduction. Magneto has created a homeland for mutants in Genosha, which is a, a country that used to keep mutants as slaves. So the reclamation of that is powerful. Genosha's got a huge presence in the X-Men comics. And Scanner is part of Magneto's uh, military patrol. And she's got a new costume. Tell us about Scanner's look here. Um, so she's basically dressed in a green military outfit. And she has a cute little beret on. It's a cute little beret. <laughs> I just wanted to come back to you. Um, not Utopia. Oh, my God. To um, Krakoa. Krakoa with her little acolyte uniform, but then her little beret. Just throw in the beret with the cheek stripes and boom, stands out. (laughs) And her powers have upgraded again. There are dead soldiers. She's touching their brains and then like replaying bioelectric imprints of some of their memories through telemetry in their field packs. And she can play these for other people to see, which is a cool, cool, cool power set. We haven't seen anything quite like this. And I, this is where I start to see some major, major like potential for Scanner as a very powerful character. I think- Come on, X-Office, get us some scanner. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's other acolytes around, and there's a moment where the character Static can scramble scanner, so it's another vulnerability for her. Uh, Barnacle disrupts her as well. There's a fight that breaks out, and ultimately Magneto's still on Genosha, but then later the Sentinels raise Genosha and everyone's dead, on we go. Uh, basically the last big scanner appearance, it's been years, it's been decades, was Avengers number 381. And she gives uh, kind of an electromagnetic warning to the high evolutionary from Exodus. Uh, I'm scanner, I'm an acolyte of the fallen messiah, I bring you a message. Uh, Wondagore, she says, is sacred to our people. Your presence profanes our holy place. You seek to control evolution. We are mutants, a product of random natural evolution. To seek control of the natural is to seek control over us. We will not be controlled. Abandon your citadel and your heinous research, or we will come and you will be destroyed. And then it goes from there. Uh, And then she loses her powers on M-Day, but it's kind of a passing mention, and we haven't seen her in years and years. Uh, so let's piece all this together. We've done kind of a deep review into a very obscure character. What do you think? Um, I, I, uh, her early appearances were kind of uncomfortable to sit through, but at the same time, 
you know, it does kind of push the extremism that does come with the acolytes. So um, your parallels with the acolytes and like something real life, that being a religion or any other type of cult like behavior, it is reflective of real life as uncomfortable as it may be. So, you know, to see her kind of break free of that, form her own thought, actually get a chance grow, develop, and kind of fight back. It kind of makes, you kind of want to see what happens next. And then to have that kind of cut short, it's just like, you see these mutants coming back on Krakoa now, you kind of want her to come back and continue that development because it was only up and then, you know, M-Day. Scanner has enough potential to really be a big player. Between her power set and some of her key relationships, the Xavier, yeah. Magneto, Cortez, Exodus connections, the Colossus. Connection. Uh, she's likely got friendships with other acolytes, Frenzy and Rusty and Skids and other people who've been around her. Uh, but she's very largely undefined, except for she joined this group, she got abused, she found a way to become more powerful. And then we last saw her as part of a government uh, that uh, that was like she she wants to be involved in the, the mutant cause. There's something driving her to keep coming back. Uh, it almost kind of it almost kind of makes you wonder like what drove her to join the acolytes to begin with. You kind of want to see what happened before that, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we would need to make this character sing for people is a backstory, maybe some trauma that she's carrying, uh, a, a mission and a purpose some key relationships in which she can be involved. Uh, uh, I, uh, I would love to see her in a number of capacities, but she would work on almost any team book. She's got the stealth skills uh, and the tech skills, and I think there's enough to make her really interesting. I would frankly read an Acolytes book, but I would want it to, yes. be, I, I would want it to be good, of course. <laughs> I would have to have the right well, character balance. It's like reading that X-Men story with Cyclops and them in the desert. You kind of almost want to see Cyclops kind of pull a reverse Gen X where when Emma was the bad guy before and leading a team of the next generation of mutants, you have Cyclops who was already the good guy leading a team of former villains, you know? Uh, yeah. But I think at the time, you know, it would have been a little rehashed, you know? But now, you know, I think she would fit in to an X-Force book, especially with um, Sage and um, Recon missions, mm -hmm. or even just Island Defense. She has potential, and I like her. And you have to read between the lines, but there's enough there to really make her work. Well, the thing is, she's had more appearances outside the comics, too, than some of these other lesser-known characters, because, like, um, she did appear in Wolverine in, in the X-Men. Granted, in the background as an acolyte, as an I oh my god, I can, as an acolyte, <laughs> got tongue-tied there again, but, you know, you know, it was kind of cool seeing that. Uh, any final thoughts on Scanner before we wrap up our thoughts? Uh, I'll go back, going back to the beginning, she's one of several Acolyte characters. There's so many mutants, but she's one of several that I would really like seeing explored more. She's a great character. She's an example of like, um, I look at someone like Unacion, who was very much in the background, and all it took was putting her in, um, 
X-Men Legacy, which Mike Carey was really good for that, taking some obscure characters and giving them some new life, bringing her back in Age of X, giving her a new design, and even having her pop up in X-Men Blue, I think Scanner could benefit from that because we see all the cool stuff she can do with her powers. It's just, she just hasn't found the right writer yet. <laughs> yeah, she she needs the right person to show her love. And again, there's a world or a universe full of characters that we need more exploration for. But this is one who has the potential to be a serious fan favorite. I like, I like that she's not just a generic blonde telepath too. No shade, you know, just because I do love Emma and the Cuckoos. But she definitely brings something different to the team. There's more to her than this, absolutely. Uh, okay, well, Mr. Justin, I am so happy to have time hanging out with you, my friend. I think you are wonderful. Those are creepy baby hands. <laughs> <laughs> Justin just held up baby hands on the camera. Yeesh. <laughs> um, as we are wrapping up here, uh, this episode should come out right around January 9th. We're kind of altering the schedule as we go, but if everything goes as planned, uh, the next episode on Patreon after this is going to be the character Birdie with the wonderful Terry Blass, who's a good personal friend of mine uh, from real life. I'm so excited to hang with Terry. And uh, the next episode of the podcast right around this time is oh it's my uh my scarlet witch origins issue with russell datterman and steve orlando it's so great we pre-recorded that one uh and it's wonderful so uh stay tuned we have a lot of cool stuff uh coming up uh justin what would you like to plug and where can people find you if they'd like to so i can primarily be found on instagram under the username j underscore cosmic um i do have a twitter but i'm never on there anymore <laughs> And I've recently joined TikTok, so we're going to see how that goes. But I'm primarily on Instagram. And um, thank you again, Chad, for having me. It's always fun to nerd out with you. So glad we got to do that again. I look forward to having you back on the main show sometime in the new year. Uh, I, I'm slowing my schedule down a little bit and uh, increasing in popularity, which is a really nice thing. But I have my favorites, and you're among them. So I look forward to having you back on the show. Oh, stop. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, make sure to give Justin a follow. Uh, he is delightful and lovely and fun to talk to, but also very nice to look at. So enjoy all of the content he's putting out. And I look forward to seeing your scanner cosplay photos, my friend. Yes, definitely. I will, um, when I share the cosplay, I will definitely... Make sure to tell everybody about the show as well. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, okay, everybody. We will see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane's Patreon. Bye. Bye, Justin. Bye.